Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. And today, my guest is riding star of the pro peloton, Fred Wright. What can I tell you about Fred? Well, he's a young man with a bright future and has just had an amazing spring classic season and we chat all about his Flanders ride in particular. We also chat about how his team Bahrain Victorious were all based in a team house for the classics and what effect that might have had. He plays a lot of video games and he's a big fan of Lego, not the first we've had on the podcast and certainly he won't be the last. We also talk about the importance of Herne Hill Velodrome and how he met Bradley Wiggins there when he was only eight and stay tuned to find out if that made a big impression on him or whether it didn't really impact him at all. Actually, Bradley, if you're listening, you might want to switch off around the 43 minute mark for just a minute or so. Everybody else, please enjoy listening to the full unabridged chat. This is the Fred Rice episode. You know it's that time again. Podcast. Regular listeners will know that you can contact the show by emailing podcast at sigmasports.com. And I'd like to thank all of you who've gotten in touch with the show. You can share anything you like, stories, guest recommendations, favourite hotels, complaints, and of course, questions. Like this one from Nils, who listens to the podcast from his pain cave in Tilburg. Hello, Matt. You often ask the guests where they are and what they can see. But I want to know, where are you and what can you see? All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, um, immediately to my left, I can see a pencil cape. Well, I'm in a hotel in Bath recording this particular edition of Matt Stevens Unplugged. And, and this is a non-pop shield link edition of Matt Stevens Unplugged because I have a microphone in front of me with no pop shield whatsoever. Um, I've got two pairs of glasses. Um, one particular pair of glasses is a pair of sunglasses to protect me from the sun when outside. Car keys, uh, a face mask, a remote control, a giant Samsung telly, a rather fetching wooden desk. If I look just behind me, a rather lovely double bed, uh, which I have for myself, and some black and white arty pictures on the wall, and um, a golden uh, a golden set of curtains with only one window. So when you try and move the curtains to the right, it's quite weird. There's just a wall. Um, so there you go, Nils. That's my hotel room. Fred Wright is a powerful young rider who can pretty much do it all. His impressive spring classic season saw him finish seventh at the Tour of Flanders, an amazing achievement. Now that the classics are over, I was keen to find out what Team Bahrain Victorious are planning for him going forward and what his targets for the rest of the season might be. I also wanted to know what it's like to live with Ethan Hayter. Check it out. It's time for the Fred Wright edition of Matt Stevens Unplugged. I believe this is going to be episode 74. Fred, thanks for coming on. Oh, it's a pleasure, mate. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking, talking rubbish. Yeah, we, 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 I think there will be a little bit of tangential chat, Fred. Uh, that's the very nature of, of my pod. And I, I think we need to set... Well, first up, let's set some context. Um, I'm 16 minutes late for the pod um, because for the second time in two weeks, the last time I did a pod, well, the last pod I did with Nico Roach, I blew all the power in the hotel room. Um, and I had to go and do it in his room. And, and this time I popped the kettle on and my little, I've got a really nice selection of tea and coffee making facilities, actually. I've got loads of PG tips. They're going to last the next couple of days. Some nice biscuits, um, but, no, but no tea. But th- thankfully, uh, the bloke came in and, and, and sorted it out and he said, just don't use the kettle, which is kind of bad news, really. Um, but anyway, so Fred, where in the world are you, mate? <laughs> I am actually in my um, parents' house in South London at the moment. Ah. I've been lent lent my. Uh, I also had a little bit of a flap on trying to get everything sorted to do the podcast, and I've been lent my mum's Mac in her office in their place to you to do this podcast. So Thanks I'm sat much. in her office at the moment. <laughs> yeah, because I was a bit worried because when I sent you an email um, and you said you were going to maybe do it on your phone, I thought, oh no, as you read it. But th- thankfully, we've turned it round. We've had a few issues like that, but um, we're up and running. So we're actually, ready. Fred. So yeah. You're in South London. Exactly what what um, what town? What little lo- locale are you in? I am in Hernhill, South London. Of course, yes. of course. It's where um, you were born and bred. Exactly. Um, South London. Just a, a cheeky bit of a warning. Later on in the podcast, at some point, there will be um, a little bit of a test for you on on Hernhill. It should be should be quite enjoyable. Actually, because of my very very tight schedule today, a, a little bit of insider knowledge. Um, we came at me and my wife Holly, who sat in the room, sorting her, sorting herself out for going out tonight. So, so she's we've got a live studio audience of one, 
Um, wow. So uh, she's in the background. Yeah, Holly, say hi. Just shout across the room. There you go. Just in the background, there, low in the All mix. Right. Uh, but we, we came up with the questions for the for the quiz a bit later in the car on the M1, um, just okay. after just after stopping up Watford Gap services. So uh, just to add some real rich context to the pod. But what can you well, see? Hopefully, in the I can do them justice. These questions. Yes. Um, yeah, I reckon. I, can... I reckon you will. Uh, I reckon. I've got a funny feeling, Fred, that you're going to be okay. Um, but they are <laughs> quite strange. I'll be honest with you. But anyway, more okay. of that later. So what can you see immediately around you in your mum's office? Is it is it an interesting um, office? Is there loads of cool stuff in there? She's got quite a strange um, stapler that I could see in front of me. It's like a <laughs> it's like a skull with a Ooh. with an orange feather on top of it. It's a quite a peculiar item. But other than that, there's not many other strange things in the. There's quite a nice view actually out the window of, of the garden and everything. Very nice. So, can, what, can you see much of London, or is it just the back garden? We well, not be Oh no, it's just, it's just the back garden. We could just see the the train line behind the house. That's all. That's it. But still a still a lovely view, nonetheless. <laughs> Good stuff, mate. So, so in terms of, we'll, we'll dig into a couple of the races in a, in a in a little bit. You've had a great season so far. So, in terms of the season and your, you, at what point are you in terms of what's coming up next? I noticed on um, on Pro Cycling Stats, which we do a lot of our research on. There's no information on your upcoming programme. So what does the rest of the year look like before we delve into what you've already achieved this year? So I've sort of, I'm now in a bit of a bit of a break, actually. I've yeah. done, finished finished the last race of the sort of classics block, which was Roubaix. Yeah. And now just having, this is the fifth day of my five days of not, not riding the bike so much. And so, then I'll be, uh, yeah, yeah building, building back up towards um, the Tour de France, basically, in, in July. Oh, fantastic! So you've definitely got a berth in the tour team again. Yes, I yeah, I should, should hope so. With all things, all things going well, we'll do right. like an altitude camp in in May, and then then I'll do the Tour de Suisse, and then and then the tour after that. Very nice. Oh, mate. and nas- nationals in between as well. Of course, oh, we of can't. Course. Yeah, what a what a battle that was uh, the nationals last year. I had the privilege with Adam Blythe of calling that race. You and Swifty battling up the Michael Gate, flipping Eck. That was. I mean, let's talk oh, about that. But that, let's talk about that for a bit, because <laughs> I mean, on on that course, um, I mean, it's a it's a cracking course. It's the nearest I think we've got in the in the UK, isn't it, to a classic? But that was a proper ding dong battle, a proper old school, wasn't it? Oh, it was such a. I kind of finished, you know, I, I finished the race, and I was obviously pretty gutted because you know you really want to win those stripes, but seeing you know everyone talking about it afterwards and you know, like watching clips from it and stuff. It it was such an epic race. So it's always good when you're part of a battle like that. You know, you get, yeah, lots of people saying, oh, well, that was so good to watch and everything. Because my initial reaction was like, oh, I've missed out on the, missed out on the stripes, you know, but no, it was, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. And, it's and such a good, it's such a good course, actually. I really think you, it's one of the, yeah, best courses. Oh, without a doubt. Have you, have you raced there before? No, it was my it was my first time. Yeah, I kind of watched. I watched the twenty nineteen one, I think, beforehand. But yeah, I'd never done it. So going into it, because it's quite a. I think I've done. I've never ridden the nationals on on that course, but ridden the Lincoln probably I don't know eight or nine times over the years back in the day. But um, it's quite a tricky race to get right. But obviously, with your classics experience and stuff, you obviously got the strength. But it's quite a early on. You've. It's quite a nervous race, especially coming into the Michael Gate for the first time. There's a real craft to getting it right and not spending too much energy early on, but also making sure at the front in case there's any big splits because they're hard to come back. It's a tough one to get right, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a gamble, isn't it? Like I was, you know, even after the race, I was sort of thinking, oh, maybe I did a bit too much the first couple of times up at Michael Gate. But then you do have to be in the right place because... I mean the way Swift, Swift the way Swifty rode it, he just wanted to be off the off the front from the from the get go. So I think yeah. yeah, he that's kind of what you have to do at nationals. It's not like any other race, you know. You have to sort of there's no break. It's just the strongest guys are the break after yeah. two hours. <laughs> it is. It it is. It's yeah. and, and especially with the the mix of domestic pros, Conti pros, and stuff. There's from a tactical perspective, if you get caught on the back foot and miss stuff, it's very, very hard to make up lost ground or virtually impossible. Like you say, it's a race where you've you've got to race it from the front and you expend energy in a very, very different way than you would in a continental race. So that that gives it its unique kind of flavour, doesn't it? Yeah, you've almost got to sort of switch your mindset to be in, okay, this is going to be like what it was like when I was a junior. Just yeah. kind of 
desperately just attacking, attacking, attacking sort of thing. No control at all. So you're in this off phase at the moment, five days off the bike. Are you the type of person that is itching to get back on your bike? Are you? Do you have to be constantly reminded by your coaches or are you very, very cool with like, yep, five days off, I'm just going to chill now? So what's your mindset? Are you itching already or are you actually thinking I could do with another couple of days it's, off? <laughs> it's, it's a funny one. I'm always like, I think, say, say these take these five days, for example, the first two days I kind of have that, yeah, just going to chill, don't have to work. And then already today and yesterday I've been like, oh, maybe I, you know, should you start kind of twitching a little bit. You're getting ready to get back into the swing of things, especially at this point in the season. You know, it doesn't feel like I've done that much, but obviously it's good to have a break at this point. Yeah, But no, I'm, I'm definitely eager to get back on the bike. Nah, I bet you are. I, had a, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Fred. It's a little bit weird. Maybe it's because I'm getting a bit older, but back in the day when I was racing, if I ever had more than four or five days off the bike, I used to get my legs used to go into spasm in bed sometimes. I'd get like these weird <laughs> sensations in my legs. And I, I, somebody actually said it is an actual thing where you, you're an athlete and you train and then suddenly you don't. And it's called restless leg syndrome or something like that. I don't, it's quite strange. So the only way I could get over it was to get back and go and ride my bike for like at least an hour and then it would go away. But it would only happen after three or four days off the bike. It was as if my body was telling me, Matt, you need to get riding again. You know, it's weird. Have you ever, if you, or am I, do, am I, am I on my own? You, am I weird or have you experienced something I, like, that, like, that, like that, friend? I, I, I don't, I, no, not that I can remember, but I do, <laughs> I definitely get more, I get more irritable. I think my, right, right. The, the longer I have off the bike, the more kind of irritated I get by things. And then if I kind of look back, I go, actually, I was getting stressed at, at whatever for quite a small reason that was just because i haven't ridden my bike <laughs> and then i'd go and ride my bike and i'm like oh no i'm just i just need to do some exercise or whatever that it, normally solves the problem yeah that is a, a big <laughs> phenomenon that i've it's always been the case through i'm good with like three days off uh, but when it gets to four days i get a bit angsty and i think anybody that i'm with or especially your, your loved ones they sort of start to sense that you're getting a little bit impatient and just like dropping a spoon when you're making a cup of coffee and then swearing is a good. It, that's my tipping yeah. point. It's like ah, okay. I need to go out either for a long walk, or I need to get on my bike and nail it for a bit just to get rid of all that pent up energy. But it's strange, isn't it? How you your body, although you're like you know, twenty five years younger than me, but you your body becomes very accustomed to it and finally attuned to not racing, isn't it, or not training? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been riding my bike for so long now, even though I'm just still got a long way to go of riding my bike. But yeah, I think I'm just just so used to it that when you don't give it what it what it's used to then it starts starts telling you to, to go mad when you've lost your headphones before you're doing a podcast or something <laughs> exactly exactly so just to just to drill worse, yeah. yeah just to drill a little bit further down before we move into sort of more cycling rated stuff so what what are you into fred outside of bike riding because you've got five days to fill you're at your, your mum's house what have you been doing with your time if you don't mind me asking you can say matt I'm not telling Whoa. you it's secret. I'm pl- keeping my cards <laughs> close to my chest. But what what gets you excited outside of racing and training, mate? Well, I, I mean, I haven't had the chance this week because I've been I've had a nice little two days away with my girlfriend in Edinburgh, which was All lovely. Right. Yep. But I uh, I do play, play probably too many computer games. I'd say that's All something right. that I do a lot of. But okay. Also, yeah. I'm, into my coffee. I love watching films. I do quite, I do. I'm quite, I think I'm quite good at just filling the empty time, whether that's a good thing or not. I I feel like if I have an empty kind of afternoon, I can fill it with an activity that probably isn't very productive, but I enjoy it anyway. Yeah. (laughs) I think, yeah, I think, I think being active and passive and not doing anything, but actually still enjoying yourself is actually quite, because there's so much stuff out there. I mean, you get, there's so much to read. There's so much to, there's so much stuff online to do. And in terms of movies and great drama, oh my God, what what a time to be alive. It's, uh, there's so much that I want to watch. Like I haven't got the bandwidth to kind of cram it all in, but, um, well, okay. In terms of films then, what's the best movie that you've seen recently that you thought, oh my God, that's ace. Yeah. Recently. I haven't seen, what was the last, I mean, the last time I did really enjoy. It, actually, I I don't know if you went to see Dune. 
So oh, I, I, I saw it on, on my big telly. So I, I downloaded yeah. it on Sky, but yeah. I, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was my, one of my favourite ever films, but I did really enjoy it in the cinema because it was just lots of, lots of loud music and big, cool spaceships, <laughs> basically. So I, no, I didn't, I did like that actually. I, I agree. I, yeah, I think, yeah, it's definitely a film. I, I wished I'd seen it at the cinema, actually, because it's um, one of the most visually stunning bits of cinema, I think. Wh- wh- whatever you think of the story and stuff, I mean, because the story is is pretty well known, isn't it? But the way <laughs> that the realisation of it is is nuts. It's the, the scale is absolutely epic, isn't it? So if you if you do see it and we're listening in... Um, Get on, get on a big telly. Turn the volume up. Yeah, it's nice big, t- nice big TV. <laughs> yeah, it's properly immersive. I, I thought I, I actually really, really enjoyed it. But um, yeah, wonderful looking film. A visual feast, I would call it. Yes. Yes. I, I, yeah. I don't know if I'd want it. Yeah. No, I think I will watch it again. Maybe. But then maybe I'll be disappointed if I'm watching it on my TV at home, having seen it at the cinema. I, I think knows? you should. I think you should just. What that's it. I think because I you're going to you're going to downgrade yourself, Fred. Otherwise, although part yeah. two's coming out because that was just part one, wasn't it? Yeah, I think there's going to be three parts actually. That's right. Yeah, sorry. Or maybe just two parts. I'm not sure. I'm, I um, yeah, I mean, is it is it no. D- Dennis Villeneuve is the director, isn't he of Dune? Um, and he yeah, did... I, I quite like some of his other like the the Blade Runner remake. I really really enjoyed actually. Oh, then that now the, that the, was uh, the prequel. Yeah, Blade Runner twenty forty three. Because a lot of people that when that came out, a lot of people slated it for being too slow. But I really liked the pace of it. The, the, and the, again, the visuals and the, the color palette and stuff was absolutely off the charts. I, I thought it was a brilliant bit of cinema. Yeah, I mean, I think my, I think I, don't, I know. I mean, I was sort of my parents didn't like it because obviously they they'd seen the original Blade Runner and they were a bit like, oh no, this is not, you know. But I I haven't seen seen both, and no, I really enjoyed it. I think that's one of my favourite films, actually. Oh, that's good. That, 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 I, I think already we could end the podcast now, and I think that people, <laughs> knowing you like the films of Delis of Villeneuve, uh, that gives says a lot. So when, when I'm commentating yeah. on races now, I'm going to drop, <laughs> drop in a Blade Runner 2043 reference when you're in a break and just yeah. uh, mix, mix it up a little bit. So, <laughs> But no, very interesting. So, and, and what about what game, what computer game are you very much into at the moment that's that's uh, uh, eating into your time a lot well i um what was great about the in the in the lockdown i i played what well, a great way of kind of connecting with my my friends was just playing playing call of duty in the in the afternoons i think the the whole kind of war zone thing that they created it was great for just kind of hanging out and speaking to people with obviously because you couldn't meet them and that's kind of still carried on a bit now so i still play a bit of that now with with mates I don't tend to I used to play quite a lot of just like single player on my own kind of games but I, I, I sort of play play a lot with just with mates really is that, mates, is that mates within the the pro peloton or a or bit of a mix or are there any guys within the team that you you game with I um I've played a couple of games with Phil Bauhaus I know he plays it on the on our team but there's no one else on our team that I've I'm sure there's other guys in the pro peloton that, that, that play it but I'm not that I've I've not played with them, but no. But a couple yeah. of games with Phil. <laughs> He's better than me, I reckon. Is he? Is it? Yeah, yeah. M- m- my lad plays uh, Call of Duty quite a lot, but I've, I'm, I'm a bit more of a passive gamer. I like the whole, and my wife is a big gamer, but I'm a, I like the whole aesthetic and the idea that all the consoles and the history and stuff and the culture behind it, but I'm a, I don't actually game myself, but I just watch from the sidelines. Quite, have quite you got? That. Have you got like a big collection of things? I can imagine, maybe. Yeah, yeah. we've got um, we've got the original. So we've got a couple of P- P- Playstations. We've got the Sega Mega Drive. Uh, we've got an original Atari from like 1981 with Space Invaders, oh, wow. Asteroids, Empire Strikes Back, cool. uh, all those sorts of games. I think, and we've got. Um, I think we must have about 15 consoles. I think, and 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 they oh, wow. and the and the Atari one we've actually got displayed on our on, underneath our telly because it looks so lovely with the wood, you know, the wood grain yeah, yeah, on, yeah. on the original. Atari. Is what what's it? What Atari is it, Holly? The twenty seven hundred is called. I think I know what it looks like. Yeah, you know the one. It's proper retro with a, with a bu- it. Yeah, it, it's a it's a really, but it's so. I think the thing I like about consoles is how aesthetically pleasing they are, and also handheld consoles like Nintendo's. Like we've got quite a few collectible. Um, 
Game Boys as well, like the see-through ones, limited edition um, Pokemon ones as well. So we, oh we've yeah, got, yeah, 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 we're into that. That's all over our house, so we've got yeah, we're quite into that sort of stuff. Which is <laughs> no, I, I absolutely adore cycling, but I'd quite like immersing myself into other worlds as well, just to give yourself a break. Um, it's important, isn't it, to have that contrast because bike riding and the travelling involved, the training, racing, it's it's very intense, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like I, just similar to what you were just saying, I mean, I just, um, I think after Flanders, or when I was in Flanders, I ordered a, um, like a, a Lego set online. Oh, yeah. Because I just thought, actually, it'd be quite a nice thing. And I, I got home after, I think it was after Flanders or maybe after Amstel, and I just, you know, spent, just, I just sat there and didn't really stop building until it was finished. But I was so kind of zoned out and in quite a, quite a good space, actually. Just having, having you kind of, you're getting stress from racing and fighting with people it was quite nice to just sit in the in the living room and just build build some lego it sounds quite strange just me saying that like that but yeah <laughs> i know i do you know what um i know uh, i've a couple of years back and i know cav is a massive lego fan um still buy oh, okay. stuff I know uh and I, I did a little lego building competition with cav at the ue tour about five years ago and he was far quicker than me, flipping it. I bought two little Lego, Star Wars Lego sets, like the mini ones for about eight quid, and we had a competition. Yeah. And he did it like four minutes faster. He'd finished mine, he'd finished his, and then <laughs> end up helping me with mine. Unbelievable. And then Rowan, Rowan Dennis, who was on the podcast about a year ago, is a massive Lego fan, uh, Rowan, Rowan. And we often okay. send each other pictures when we're in different Lego stores <laughs> and stuff. So what, what did you... It's good to know that there are other guys out there. Of course, mate. Just, maybe, it's not just me on my own building my, <laughs> building my Star Wars Lego. Oh, so <laughs> what was it? So what, what Star Wars Lego was it? Well, it was a... Um, I got it off eBay, actually. It was uh, the Slave One, which is the ship of Boba oh, Fett. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. No, we've uh, again. We've got a lot of Star Wars Lego, but in a, like one of those IKEA glass cabinets in our spare room. We haven't got Slave One, but we've got oh, nice. the Mandalorian's spaceship, uh, Razor Crest. Oh, so I, that's another series I've enjoyed recently. Actually, that was good. Yeah, I really enjoyed the Mandalorian. Boba Fett was okay, but it ended up turning into the Mandalorian, really, didn't it? At the end, I thought without giving yeah, too much away. Yeah, that annoyed me actually. I was a bit like, I've, yeah, that, that, yeah, but without giving it away. Yeah, that that kind of. I wanted more of more of him because yeah, is it he is an interesting an interesting legacy character. But uh, so <laughs> yeah. you touched on on Flanders. Let, let's let's dive into Flanders. What 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 I mean? What a race, mate! Uh, absolutely astonishing ride by yourself. A really aggressive ride. But so can you tell us? I know you've probably done this on a few occasions now, Fred. But I mean, it gave so many people from the UK so much pleasure to see you battling it out at the sharp end. So what was the plan going into Flanders for the team and how how did the race evolve for you? And talk about as best you can your memories of it and then obviously being right at the very sharp end pretty much until the, to the, the end of the race. So just what was it like going in and, and what was the plan for the team and how are you feeling? Um, oh, it's hard to, to know where to say so many things. <laughs> but I think it, I think it, it, what was great about this year with our team is we, we had a bit of a sort of just, they decided to get a team house for all of us to stay in. Okay. For, the, for these for these classics races, rather than your traditional, just sort of staying in a hotel with. Obviously, we had our you know separate rooms, but then you, you know we could come all together and talk about the racing beforehand, and I felt like that really kind of that really sort of set up the the races and kind of made me made everyone sort of understand understand that the races just that little bit better. You know, we were kind of every evening, whether we you know you were fully watching the what was on the TV that someone would put on, I don't know, last, last year or the year before's race. And you kind of just see what, see what it's like. And I kind of, yeah, we just spent so much more time talking about the races, I think, than, than we had, than we did the last years. So right. I think going into then, you know, you have, you almost know what the team, the, the DS was going to say in the team meeting, like, because I've, I had such an understanding of, you know, what was, what was coming, what normally happens here on these climbs and everything like that. And, I mean that's just what I love about the classics. There's so much. There's so much to learn, and I mean I felt like I, I knew a lot, but there's still so many things to to work on for the years to come. It's so it's it's so exciting. They're such great races. Yeah, I mean they are. Yeah. I mean they are the, the pinnacles of the season, aren't they? The five monuments. Obviously, you appear to be. I guess you're. I mean, you've still got 
we'd like to think a long career ahead of you, but the the sort of rider that you are, obviously you you, you can do well in bunch kicks. You can ride well in the classics. Do what do you what do you think your aims? Again, I'm going to go back to Flanders in a minute. But what do you think you've learned over the last few years about what the, the kind of rider you think you might end up being? I think I, I really think you know. But that the race on the Flanders was just a, was a kind of show for me that I definitely think I want to win win Flanders or Roubaix at, at some point. That would yeah. be that would be the big the big goal. But also I. I do really enjoy doing stage races. I, I also love that. I love the classics for what they are, but I also love the life of just being out, being on the road for three weeks at a time or 10 days at a time and just being being part of a team there. So I think I would love to, you know, keep doing more supportive role, but maybe go for stages in, in Grand Tours and, yeah, smaller stage races to come as well. Yeah, so it's, really- a, um, it's quite, a, I'd imagine, like every year you are going to be learning so much. And also... And- Increasingly, I think this is a a big topic of conversation. Is is that the landscape's changing and the way that people race is changing? I mean, ten fifteen years ago, you would be there'd be a few riders that were particularly versatile, but you'd have your stage race riders, your classic specialists, your sprinters, and now you still do have riders who can specialise in that. But there's a lot more at the, at the higher end. There's a lot more versatility, isn't there? The riders are just picking picking and choosing different races that that they're they're liking. I don't know, it seems to be that the fashion now, the mode now is for riders to try anything and that you're not necessarily pigeonholed. Clearly, everyone has a, a certain set of physiologies that they're born with and that they're developed and nurtured. But ultimately, because there's so many different types of racing, as a pro, it's probably best to just try and have a go at everything, isn't it? Because you just never know, do you? Yeah, I, I kind of think that's, like sometimes I sort of think about how I am as a rider. I sort of think, actually, I'm not, necessarily amazing at one particular thing i'm just mm. quite good at lots of things but then I, I the way i enjoy the sport and the way i i love racing i think that's that's almost good for good for the future because it means i can yeah like you said pick and choose what what races i want to do whether it's you know i can have a go in a time trial or have a go maybe not the big big climbs but yeah have a go in uh, in a bunch sprint as well and 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 I, I take it the team. I mean, the, the team has had a lot of success this year. It's been a really really good year for the team, and clearly the team is a place where you feel comfortable, where you can you're allowed to express yourself. And although clearly there is a hierarchy within the squad, you've got some big big hitters, but you know there's there's still room for the, the younger riders to express themselves, and you are given a fair bit of lateral play. It appears to me. Yeah, that's what I've really sort of been grateful for in this team. I've kind of. I've I've really especially this year and it's all more towards the end of last year really sort of found my place in in and what you know what I can what I can do within within the team itself and yeah I get you know the fact that I at the start of the season they were always, almost like yeah this is what these are the races you want to do and it was basically with my kind of ideal calendar I kind of yeah I'm so super happy here it was great it's a really no. good environment that's very, very cool. So back, right, I'm going to rewind a bit. You know, this, is, this pod is a little bit unstructured sometimes. I do have a few notes, but back to Flanders. So yes. you're in the early move. Um, did you know you had good legs early on or did you just find yourself in this early move and thought, well, let's see how it goes? Obviously, you, you got a hell of a squad. You had Dylan Tierns in and around the mix as well, didn't you? Uh, Matty Mohoric, Tratnik, you had a, such a good team. Incredibly versatile, deep team in terms of strength. So when you were up the road, what, what were you thinking? What was going through your mind? And was it easy to control? What I talk about when I'm, I'm commentating a lot because I've experienced it myself is a race with big crowds and a race of that stature. You, there's moments in the race where you're going to get these massive adrenaline dumps on key moments, key places on the course where people are calling your name and you've got the crowd. So talk, tell us about that. I mean, I've asked you about 15 questions in one, but you know what I mean. <laughs> what was it like being in the break and how did you control uh, your energy expenditure, for want of a better phrase, I think, I think we we were actually a little bit on the back foot as a as a team. We'd missed the the move that went with like sort of a hundred k to go. Mm. There were sort of fifteen guys, but luckily we sort of it, as as I'd say expected, it all sort of came back together coming to second dive Quermont, and then that was when we had we had numbers, you know. And so I just it was almost like an instinct, just following Dylan Van Baal after the the first time on the Paterberg, and then. Like I knew I felt good, but I, at the same time, I just knew that I wasn't on the same level as he was. Yeah. 
So I I knew all, my I just had to do everything I could to save save my legs. Yeah. He was he was doing some he was doing some big pulls and I was sort of you know I was giving him turns and everything, but he like he rode the whole way up the Coppenberg, for example, and I was just sort of hanging on, yeah, hanging on in there. Like I was I was fine, but I, it was good to have him have you know the situation worked out well because he was he was obviously pushing on and yeah and feeling and going well. But like you said, you said before about the, uh, sorry, just about the, you know, about the crowds and everything. I think that was the one thing I've, I definitely messed up is on the, on the last time on the Quermont, obviously there's so many crap fans and so much, so much going on that I almost, when Pogaccia and uh, Van der Poel sort of accelerated, I think that kind of lent me, I tried to follow and I just, yeah, I ended up blowing and Van Baal then came past me and that was, and I, I couldn't get back on and I was, you know, on my own all of a sudden coming into the Paterberg and that was that was almost almost race over basically because I could have maybe if I'd have you know timed my effort a little bit better I don't know who knows you don't know in these it, it, hindsight's it, great but yeah it, it is especially when you're it in the final in the last coming up to Paterberg the last 20k of a monument that monument is Flanders and you've got the likes of Van Baal, Pogaccia, Van der Poel around you. Jesus, you know, that's, it's pretty, whatever way you slice that, Fred, that's pretty monumental and, and you're still a young guy. And so, um, I don't know, I, I know you'll never know and, and each rate, you can always look with 2020 vision and say, oh, I should have done that a bit better. But ultimately, you, you're up against the finest riders of maybe a couple of generations. Um, and and when, you, when you think about it like that, you can be proud, can't you really, mate? Oh, no, I'm... I'm- I'm so pleased. I'm so happy that I was that I was there. I kind of come into second time Quermont is such a kind of pinch point in the race, and I entered it sort of fifth fifth wheel, sixth wheel, and then I was like, "Oh, this this could be." Uh, I kind of felt like it was going to be good from then onwards because yeah. once you're there, second time Quermont, and you're feeling all right, then the race sort of just just happens really. And yeah, I sort of made the most of it by following Dylan and. Yeah, it was a pretty cool group of five to be part of, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I just got a couple of pictures. That, yeah, I mean, it's pretty immense. And yeah, watching, and you were, you, the thing is, you were, you were riding within your limitations. Quite clearly, you could see that they were perhaps doing some longer pulls. But again, when you're talking about a race and explaining it to people, you know, they're, even if you've got within a breakaway riders who are maybe not feeling so good, they still can really help that breakaway. They, they might do less on the climbs, but over the top and on the downhill sections, they can give the other guys a rest. Breaks can work, even if there's a bit of a discrepancy between the physiological state or the, the level of tiredness of the riders within that group. It's all about using each other for as long as you can. And that benefited them and it also benefited you. So it's amazing how cohesive a break can be, even if there's a fair bit of differential between the riders. Yeah, I, I did think you know they were. I was I was kind of impressed almost about how they they saw that I was you know maybe skipping a turn here and there and they you know often people are quite kind of like know what you're doing getting yeah. sort of angry about it but actually the best the best strategy is to almost do what they did maybe and just like okay this guy's sitting on but just don't ignore they basically ignored me which I don't know if it's just because they were so strong Pogaccio and Vanderpool were so strong but. Yeah, they they didn't care that I was sat on. They kind of, I, I guess they worked out that I wasn't going to be pulling was so it, much. <laughs> was was there any conversation actually? Say they didn't really they ignored you and just getting on with things and then using you when they when they could. But was there any conversation at all um, between you and the guys in the break at that point? No, there wasn't really. I think at one point Dylan was like, "Oh, come on, Fred, let's you know, let's keep this, let's keep this going." When it was just me and him, but yeah, no, actually, when it was just the five of us, you're so. There's so much focus. It's it's crazy, really. Yeah, and then of course uh, later on you had Dylan come come across. Now Dylan came across, didn't he, from a little bit further back? Yeah, um, with them, with yeah. Kung, yeah, with, with Stefan Kung, yeah. I mean, last time up the Paterberg, when you're on your own, I mean, we all know, well, not everybody who's listening has ridden up that, but a lot of people will will have done. Last time up the Paterberg, if your legs are going, that is absolutely brutal, isn't it? I mean, describe <laughs> what that was like riding up on your yeah. own. <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, that was willpower, I think, that got me up there. I don't think it was legs or anything. It was really, you know, that's when the fans make quite a big difference as well because you're, you're so sort of focused beforehand when you do you know, have the legs. But when you're blowing, it's it's almost different. You kind of need to take in the fans and take in everything you you, you want just to just to keep going. But no, I made it 
made it over in one piece. And I was so grateful that Dylan uh, Dylan and Kun came across actually because it was a cross headwind coming into the into the finish. And that last 10k is actually really long. You know, it's 10k of a 280k bike race might seem not like much, but no, that was that was a that was a long 10k. It's gripping. It's 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 on wide. It's on the kind of roads that seem to take ages as well. With when you've got a nagging cross headwind it's that those wide concrete slabs it's exposed you don't really get the sense that you're making up any ground as well it's a horrible i know the bit that you mean it's absolutely horrible mate absolutely yeah it's wonderful wonderful ride mate seventh place in the end um absolutely magnificent now we're going to change tact ever so slightly we we know that you are from a or from hern hill and so i think it's time i've already warned you hopefully you haven't fired up Hearn Hill on um, on Wikipedia because um, <laughs> no, we're, we're relying on your your local lo- knowledge. It's time for the Hearn Hill quiz. Yo yo, what's up? You're ready? Uh-huh. Let's do it. Ta-ta, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Hearn Hill quiz. <laughs> there we go. That's uh, Niles time to shine on on the on the uh, on the podcast our producer now knocks to those together uh, what do you what did you rate will you yeah rate the rate the jingle out of I, I enjoyed it i enjoyed it it was uh yeah a fitting start to hopefully what will be a good quiz okay well the, the quiz is about to start it's a multiple choice quiz so we're we're not going to do your legs um fred it's but they are quite random and i've got them typed okay. up it's the first time i normally write them in my moleskin and, and these have been typed up uh. um so yeah so right so the first one is a historical type of question and uh, it goes as follows okay the area now known as hern hill from 1291 until the late 18th, 18th century was known as what so the area now known as Hernhill from 1291 until the late 18th century was known as what? Was it A, the Manor of Dogwell, B, the Manor of Milkwell, C, the Manor of Cheesewell, or D, the Manor of Kingswell? Can you say that uh, uh, dog, Dogwell, Cheesewell... Yeah. So, but, well and, uh, <laughs> and yeah. So I do it all again. So, it, pre, Hernhill was previously known for cool, the best part of five hundred years as the Manor of Dogswell, Milkwell, yeah. Cheesewell, or Kingswell. <laughs> Which one of those? It actually was called one of those for the best part oh, of five hundred years before it was known as Hernhill, uh, according to I'm, history. I'm gonna go with Kingswell. D. King, you're gonna go with D. Yeah, unfortunately, mate, it's incorrect. Oh. It's Milkwell. I don't know where the hell that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know much about the etymology. Milkwell. Yeah, but it's known as Milkwell. So oh, I invented Dogwell, Cheesewell. I kept the dairy <laughs> theme going, and Kingswell sounded so. They're yeah, but yeah, no point so far. But you know, it's early days, early days, early days. in the quiz. All right, so just relax. Don't don't get you know you you haven't got a rider in the break, but they've only got about thirty seconds. Is is okay. the kind of yeah is the analogy here? Right. Okay. Question number two. 51 Hearn Hill has a blue plaque marking the former home of famous author Sax Roma. Okay. Which famous fictional character did he create? So number 51 Hearn Hill has a blue plaque, um, as it was the former home of famous author Rex Roma. Uh, and he created a fictional character. Very, very famous indeed. Okay. Was it A, Inspector Clouseau, B, Ming the Merciless, C, Dr. Fu Manchu, or D, Sherlock Holmes? Um, is it A? Inspector Clouseau? Uh, yeah. It's incorrect. I'm afraid it was oh, Dr. Fu Manchu. <laughs> sorry, sorry, mate. I, I mean, I, I didn't, uh, I've got no idea. I didn't, mate, that was just, again, these are quite uh, random and fun. Um, what I'm going to I'm offer enjoying, you... I'm enjoying I'll, them. I'm enjoying yeah, them. Yeah, thanks very much. Well, they do get um, even weirder from now on. So what I'm going to do, <laughs> I'm going to allow you... It, it, you know, like, um, what's the program? Who wants to be a millionaire? Well, unfortunately, we don't have the sort of budget to offer you any cash. But what we do have to try and increase your chance of getting a few points in this quiz is you can either 
eliminate two questions so you can have two left so it's like 50 50 or you can phone a friend but that friend is niall our producer okay (laughs) and and he didn't write the question so he hasn't got a clue so or you can just go for an answer so the next two you have it you have an opportunity to go 50 50 or phone niall all right so here we go okay question number three a these, this is true. Right. A, a humorous British charity formed in Herne Hill in 1924 to raise money for local children's charities was called the Ancient Order of what? I say so. A humorous British charity formed in Herne Hill to raise money for local children's charities was called the Ancient Order of Worm Charmers, Froth Blowers, Pie Appreciators, or Lofty Domino Stackers. <laughs> Oh my god! One what? of those is real, uh, mate. One of those is real. One I mean, of them is real. That's that's yeah. yeah of course. It's, I mean, um, you've got a choice. You can pick your own answer. Absolutely fine. You can go fifty-fifty, or you can phone Niall. I might, I'll, can I take the fifty-fifty? Fifty-fifty. Okay. Right. Um, okay. It's between froth blowers and pie appreciators. <laughs> I wasn't going to go for either of those two, so that's interesting. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for the weirdest one, the froth blowers. Correct, Amundo! Yeah. Points, good lad, 25%. Good choice, good choice. Yeah, um, apparently they used to go into the pub um, and they raised a lot of money, about five grand back in the day, didn't they, Holly? Holly's nodding. Um, so, yeah, they used to just blow, oh, uh, blow froth off the top of the beer. Uh, there you go. Um, okay. And what pub was it in, Hull? Was it? Oh, there's a there's a pub called the Crescent or the Blue Moon, isn't there? The Half the Moon. The Half Moon. The Half Moon is that. There's a lot of. We haven't got any Half Moon questions, but boy, that pub's got some history. Right. Final question. And if you get this right, we're going to bring you up to halfway, which is essentially a pass. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> right here. We go. The pressure's the pressure on, but you've still got. You phone a friend. Are you Niall? Okay. Final question. Which of these? is the real name of a vintage shop on Dulwich Road in Herne Hill. So which of these is the real name of a, vi- of a vintage shop on Dulwich Road in Herne Hill? Is it A, the Society for the Protection of Slightly Broken but Usable Things? Is it B, the Society for the Protection of Cardigans, Jumpers and Miscellaneous Knitwear? Is it C, the Society for the Protection of Unwanted Objects? Or is it D, the Society for the Protection of Things Your Parents Used to Own. Oh. <laughs> That's an actual shop right now in Hearn Hill. Wow. One um, of those. I, I'm not sure if Niall's going to have any idea, so no. maybe I'm just going to have to go for a punt yeah, myself. Yeah. Probably, um, a wise, I mean, probably a wise move. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for A again. You're going to I go think. for the Society of the, for the Protection of Slightly Broken but Usable Things, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go for that one. Okay, it's incorrect, uh, oh. Fred. <laughs> but as I'm feeling in a good mood, um, even though I haven't had a cup of tea, I'm going to give you one more chance. So you've one whittled it down. So it's either protection of cardigans, jumpers, and miscellaneous knitwear, the protection of unwanted objects, or the protection of things your parents used to own. Is it the protection of unwanted objects? It's correct, mate. Well done. Oh. I took that. Well done. So, Damn it. 50% <laughs> in the Hearn Hill quiz. Let's have a round of applause from our live studio audience. There we go. Holly's clapping as well. Wonderful scenes. Wonderful scenes. So, uh, that was the Hearn Hill quiz. So, 50%. That's not too bad. You redeemed yourself after a, let, let's be honest, after a shaky start, the break got upwards of 10 minutes and then you started to claw them back. It was a headwind finish. And he got back uh, into the clutches of the peloton. So well done. Right. Um, Fred, let's rewind all the way back to your first memories of riding a bike. How did you ultimately, we know you went through the uh, the British Academy um, and then got picked up, went abroad, rode for CCC and then ended up at, at Bahrain. But what were your first, how did you first get into cycling? Um, and what was your inspiration as it were? Was it something in the family or, or how did it come about? Um, getting well, my dad sort of got me on a bike from a pretty young age. I think I was maybe, yeah, like three or three maybe on like a little push-along push along bike. I think my first bike was a, he'd painted like a, the Batman logo onto. I think that was my, oh, like brilliant. my first bike. Oh, that's a, that's a cool <laughs> yeah. dad. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I had my Batman bike 
but I didn't um I didn't take a great interest into into cycling when I was sort of eight or not because actually I think my dad took me to Hernhill Velodrome for a Good Friday meeting when maybe I was sort of seven or eight and I, I he said he um I think Bradley Wiggins walked past because he was racing then and my dad was sort of there like oh, Fred Fred it's, it's Bradley Wiggins and I I wasn't bothered at all at that at that moment but I think when I um when I first then sort of maybe four or five four years later I'd say when I was sort of 11 12 started started going to Hernhill Velodrome at the, the summer holiday club that was really when I sort of started getting into it more and sort of started loving the sport sport a lot more and so did you so was was your dad into racing was he or was it was he just in the local club so where did that come from he um he sort of got into racing the kind of the same rate that I did really you know he okay. was he was into his cycling like but he just did mostly lots of sort of long like all like Audax rides that was what he he did before I really got into it you know he did the yeah just stupidly long riding basically right right okay <laughs> but no once I started going to Hernan Velodrome more he he came along with me and you know now he's one of the you know the people that help help keep the place going so no he he spends most of his life there now which is which it's, is great. Yeah, it's a very, very cool place. And I, I, I think back in when I was a kid, I used to ride, and it's shut down now, um, in the 80s on Paddington track, then Welling track. And I did ride a little bit on Hearn Hill. Little, I, I used to live in Finchley, North London, so it's quite a way away. But um, really fond memories there. And it's such an open track. It's almost, I mean, it is a track, but it's almost like a road circuit as well, isn't it? It's because, you know, you get headwinds, tailwinds, it's echelons almost. It's, uh, it's, pretty, <laughs> it's pretty special though, isn't it? There's, I think there's always a headwind on the back straight. That's quite a common common occurrence at Hernhill. No, it's it's such a special place, and I, you know, I I always look forward to the times where I can come back and I don't know race a race a track league or or just do a do a, some kind of session there, just because it's no, it's a. I know you know I've got lots of friends there, and it's I just like spending time there. To be honest, I can sort of see my my retirement plan is probably just to just to go there and coach there and yeah, <laughs> yeah that, simple, simple life maybe yeah I mean, that, that's a really lovely thing I mean when you when you look at and, and to come from somebody who's so young still ready if you don't mind me saying mate it's it's a it's a lovely it means that you completely appreciate um the people behind the sport domestically because there's a lot of people especially people who organize road races look after some of the the facilities that rely a lot on um on volunteer work as well um without the people behind the scenes we, we wouldn't have the scene that we have and that goes for the club scene as well doesn't it that's what um again i know there's a big age gap between us but the club scene for me was massively important and and doing something trying try, giving something back is a bit of a overused phrase i guess but but ultimately it is important because you you know how much it meant to you as a kid you know how it inspired you so having thinking that you want to do something later in your life to give something back is it's really really important and and, it, and that's why these these places stay around because people that sort of thought process that sort of ideology is perpetuated isn't it yeah that's the thing i mean i you know i don't think it's you know the the the, the work of the volunteers and everyone at her now is it's shaped me as a rider but it's almost you know shaped me more shaped me as a person as well and i think that's yeah. that's what's great about these places it doesn't regardless of whether they build the greatest the next greatest cyclist or not it's it's great that they still just you know you get lots of lovely human beings that that work there and stuff so that's a, that's a really lovely that's a really lovely way to put it mate but so moving on from there and, and your trajectory through the ranks and ultimately riding on the academy so how did can you remember what i mean i would imagine you can because it wasn't that long ago your what your time on the academy was like because you did have success there in races like tour de l'avenir etc but what was was that an enjoyable period for you yeah, it was great. It was. It's almost like sort of going off to going off to university, almost. You know, like all my friends at the same time would would go to uni, and I was off to to to, to live in live in Manchester and, and join the academy. And I, you know, I loved. I really really loved it. I, you know, we had the chance to stay. You know, we were we were staying abroad sometimes, like in Belgium and Italy, and just just racing. And you know, it was when it's that point when you I'd fully switched off any other focus from. Other than, and then you're you're fully in focusing on cycling, and that was sure. I just loved it. Yeah. At that time, though, you say you switched off any other focus. 
was there another focus in your life at that point going through school did you were you an, a particular academic or something or did you have aspirations to go to university or or was cycling so much at the forefront of your life you just thought that's what I'm going to do um or or was there an option for you to go one way or the other well I um I did actually apply to to go I was gonna I, I got in to do um psychology at Bristol but okay. I was never gonna I, I was never gonna take it that was almost like a kind of if you don't get on the academy then then right. that would be that'll be what you do but no I I did quite in you know I'm sort of one of the fortunate ones that I enjoyed I quite enjoyed school when I was you know, pretty, pretty academic. So didn't have too much trouble. It was more yeah. just the, you know, the, the balancing of cycling and, and revising or whatever for exams. But I was quite fortunate that actually that I, um, I broke my collarbone in, in April or May, I think as a junior, just coming into my, um, my last, last year exams. And so actually I had some forced time just to do nothing but, but schoolwork and not riding my bike basically. I think right. that helped. <laughs> Quite, quite, quite a serendipitous uh, um, break there. Then, so and then, um, as part just looking back through your Palmares, it's nice to because I'm getting old. I always like to draw parallels with with the youth of today. So you won the Tour of Wales, my friend, back in 2016. Yes, I, yeah, that was that was actually a bit of a surprise. I sort of got in got in the break on the uh, on the last day. Yeah, and we managed to sort of hold on to the gap that we had. So I, I ended up snatching the well. I don't know. I think Ethan has probably forgiven me now. We were teammates at the time, but he was in the he was in the yellow jersey, so was he, he so obviously wasn't gonna wasn't gonna chase it down because we were on the both riding for VCL. And yeah, so I I had I was first and he was second. Of course, that's VC Londres, isn't it? You're, you're talking VC, about yeah, that. yeah, yeah, VC, VC, Hill, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I did I did win that race. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna wave me on flag in 1987 and 1988. Backed it up. Ah, two um, years. That's two, that's pretty. I don't think many people have done that. I don't Actually. know because I, I, it's it's That's quite, quite it's quite, uh, yeah I was quite I think um, I'm not too sure if anybody has it might have been done but I haven't looked back at the Wikipedia page but it's uh, it, it is one of those I just loved it as a race a really really cool race and um, there, as a junior there's not a lot of stage racing is there um, you, I think you might get a, th- a maximum of a three day or something like that unless you go abroad um, but uh, no a cracking race I really loved it but yeah somehow managed to win it a couple of times but uh, we've had some pretty decent riders winner over the last few years as well it seems to be quite a nice indicator of, of future talent no definitely i i can't who was the did ben did ben tullet win it i think ben recently, tullet i think ben, recently yeah i think he did Maybe i think not. he yeah before i think he did actually and i think we've had uh riders i think um what's his name um it's just uh, dan martin's won it in the past Rod, roger uh, hammond's yeah. won it in the past quite a few after, after yeah like big I think I think Geraint, I think Geraint won it. I think Geraint won it. Obviously his that was his his, his home grand tour, wasn't it? But as a junior, you know. <laughs> the, tour, yeah, yeah. The, the, the tour of Wales. But uh, so at what point then um Fred did you get or I oh, sorry, let me rephrase it. At what point did the opportunity come to sign for Bahrain? Because you, you rode as a stagiaire for CCC, which I, did, I actually didn't realise until I was doing my research. So I, did, I thought you'd been with Bahrain all the time, but you did a, a, a stagiaire spot no, with CCC. Yeah. And then you went to Bahrain. I guess that was that through Rod and the context there. Well, your results, of course, but through the contact with Rod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, yeah it was, I got in contact with Rod and, yeah, he was, he was really interested in, you know, taking taking things further and riding for the team but actually it's funny that year I was almost I was so focused on being being a track rider it almost you know even the stagiaire with CCC was a little bit of a little bit of a surprise maybe because I kind of was so like okay I'm going to go to the Olympics going to be a be a team pursuit or do Omni and Madison whatever and that actually then sort of the I was really enjoying the race on the road more and then, then the results started coming and all of a sudden it was like actually I think I'd Almost see myself more as a as a as a road rider. That's really yeah, interesting. That's been, I, yeah. I, 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 do you, because of your age, twenty two? Do you have you still got any aspirations for doing the uh, Olympics on the track, or is that a possibility? I don't know really how the way things run now, but you clearly got the capacity to. When you look at other riders who managed to swap across, do three seasons on the road, then have a season Olympic year focusing a little bit more on the track, is that something that? you would like to do in the future or do you think that now is that 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 train has gone or what are your thoughts on on combining the track in the future for the next couple of olympic cycles i i'd really like to be the the kind of 
the rider that comes in and maybe does the and just does the does the Madison as like a road with you know take take the road legs that you've got from the season and use them use them in the Madison. I feel like I could be really useful there. And I, I mean, I've always loved racing the Madison, so this I've got hopefully going to have some uh, actually some chances this year to, to race on the track and then then we'll see what happens from there. It's just so difficult, you know, balancing the not even the training, but just working out logistically with yeah. your team and also. You know, saying okay, I want to do this track race, and they'll be like, "Well, no, you've got to do, got to do this." But no, there should be some some chances this year, hopefully, and then we'll see what happens. And I, th- I think again, when you look at the the sort of riders, although at the top end, there's a lot of riders mixing up disciplines. I, I think as a as a team manager or a coach, with young riders want to do stuff, as long as it it's re- it's relatively, it's not going to be damaging to what you do. I think keeping your mind fresh and, and having different objectives without losing your path entirely i mean dipping in and out of other disciplines within cycling i i, I personally think is a, is a very very healthy thing i uh, i think it just keeps the mind fresh as well uh, and obviously there's a lot of benefits the road can give to the track and vice versa so yeah i hope i hope you do do that mate and, and i you know and i hope you succeed in that oh cheers no i re- yeah like you said i think it's i just really i really enjoy just doing the track even just the track training sessions you know whizzing around the, the track if you're doing like Madison a Madison block or whatever it's, it's always good fun and I think that's as well as the training benefit it's just good to just good to do it just to yeah break things up I'd love to do a six day as well I could do again six I think that would be that would be great that, have, you, have you have you never have you ever done a six obviously you haven't done a six day that would be cool I did the, I did the London six day but I think the Ghent six day is something it's a bit different isn't it I think that's a, that's, a, that's another with all the drunk Belgians in the middle, I think that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Have you ever been there as a as a punter? It is amazing. It is somewhere that I think of all the, you know, you, you say to people, you, you've got to go and watch Flanders, you've got to go and watch Roubaix, you've got to go and see go to Paris, watch the end of the tour, for example. Of all the things, to, and go and, got to go to the World Road Championships, whatever. It, within that, I would say to anybody on a, on a bucket list of things to do in cycling would be to go to the Ghent Six. It is insane. It's just amazing. I, I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. But as a rider, blimey, it looks super, super intense, but very, very special. I, don't, I think it's the purest expression in sport of what being Belgian is all about, I think, the Ghent Six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that is, you put the nail on the head there, I think. No, yeah. we've got our... Um, our type, VCL have like a group of people that always go and watch and get get drunk but I don't I've never actually been on that trip so hopefully I'll hopefully the next the, when I'm there is will be when I'm when I'm racing it that's very very cool mate what's it like uh, living with Ethan Hater? oh it's yeah so, so, <laughs> so you get asked that, I get asked that quite a lot on podcasts I feel like people are quite like oh not that I've been on not that I've been on many but I think the last one I did, that was what what someone asked. But did they? Oh, no, I just wondered because he's a he's a he's a bit of a character, isn't he? I mean, he's a he's an interesting lad. No, I'm, I've always been good good mates with him. You know, we've been racing with each other and going to races together since we were sort of fifteen, sixteen. And I, yeah, I'm really good mates with him. And he's yeah, as a as a landlord, he's he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no, is, he, is he is he is he a landlord as well then? Yeah. So it, I'm. I just yeah. He's, he's got. He's given me given me quite a good deal, so it's, ah, it's not too lad. bad. I am lad. I am looking for my my own place at the moment, actually. But no, at the moment I I do really enjoy. It. I don't know. I feel like it's going to be a bit weird when I eventually move out and just sort of have my have my own space. I've I've kind of enjoyed living with sort of other people with mates for the past sort of few years now, and it's it's good fun. We let you have more room to spread your Lego collection out as well. Um, when you think about like, well, that's you know. That's true. I don't know what he thinks about the big, uh, the big one that's just still in the kitchen at the moment. I don't know what he thinks about that. <laughs> Which one's that? Is that the one you just done? Is yeah, that- the one I just did is still, yeah. it's still in the kitchen. Just because I, I, you know, I like to look at it. You know, when I get up in the morning, just quite proud of it. And he's probably there, like, when's he going to move it? Brilliant stuff. Brilliant <laughs> stuff. No, um, I'm, I'm glad there's. Um, I think this is definitely rider number four. I think, or for even five maybe that are into Lego. So yeah, again, I remind you, you're not alone. And, and if you want That's anybody good. to talk to, Fred, just give us a shout. Um, <laughs> and we can, we can maybe Thank just you. start a professional cyclist Lego podcast, maybe just one a month. And just have three or four of us on the pod uh, talking. God, that's yeah. an idea. I think people would That'd like that. I think people yeah. would really like that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just going on. I'm just, I'm, I'm writing that down. I quite like it. Um, oh, sorry. There's a, oh, 
<sighs> Sorry, Random mate. Question alert. What's this? Sorry, buddy. It's all kicking off. Random question alert. It is time for a random question. Okay, um, the random question generator has kicked off. I have one installed <laughs> at home, and the people at Sigma, um, again, it's a pretty hefty budget for this pod, so they've actually got me a portable random question generator, which they insist I tow behind my car anywhere I go. So anyway, it's parked outside, um, and it's just gone off. So Holly's popped out. She's come back with the question. I've never seen this before. Um Another of you, of course. So this is it. I'm, I'm just I've read it off the, the sheet that's just been torn off. Right, here we go. Would you rather live a year of your life with no socks or a year of your life without any underwear? What's a strange question. Again, it is random, generated by the computer using artificial intelligence. Um, so there you go. Would you rather live a year of your life with no socks or a year of your life with no underwear? It's a tough I, one, isn't it? That's tough, but I... I don't. I don't like having sweaty feet. You know when you've got sweaty feet in in a pair of normal shoes. It's not. It's not a nice feeling. So I think, and I do spend. You know, with wearing riding around in like all the time. I spend exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a lot of time with no underwear on. So I. Yeah. I might. Have to, I'm gonna have to go with that one. You'd have to go with yeah, the, no underwear and keep the socks. No underwear. Keep I the would, socks. I'm hundred percent Fred with you. Um, I think you explained it really well. There's been the odd occasion. I don't know how people do it, how they wear trainers. I know people wear these little trainer tamers and stuff, but how people wear brogues and stuff with clearly no socks whatsoever. I just don't get it. Very uncomfortable. Uh, not particularly hygienic, but like I say, you probably spend a lot of that. You could work it out, um, training and racing. Um, days <laughs> yeah. and days and days uh, sat in a, in a chamois. So your, your body's going to be used to it. So yeah, good answer. Good answer, mate. Yeah. But um, well, I think we've we've nearly it's about time to wrap things up, mate. Really, um, uh, have you got any questions for me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, about just no, being I, weird. I, I wasn't I wasn't ready for that. Um, no, it's the first time I've ever yeah. asked anybody that on the podcast. Um, I wonder if I no, I I wonder if you. You haven't said anything about your own Lego collection, actually. Okay, that's that's something that maybe you've, you might have. Yeah. Oh no! You, no, you did. You said you had the the Mandalorian thing. We got no, the we got the, the Razor Crest. So the, 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 the other Lego we've got, we've got a couple of big big sets that haven't been built yet um, because they okay. are so big. We've got we've got the Tatooine Lego Star Wars Lego Tatooine, which we built, but that's I've had to break it back down and slide it into its box. We've also got one of the at so the oh the, the, the really the, big that's a big set. Well, no, we, yeah, that 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 was that's a big. So we've got an Atat as well, not an Atat. The ATTT, another ones of uh, Return of the Jedi, the little ones with the with the um, the Ewoks. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got one of those, yeah. and we've got the biggest set we've got. We haven't built yet. It's it's the daily what? It's the Daily Bugle Marvel set with pretty much every single Marvel character, including Spider Man and the Avengers, attacking the Daily Bugle, and it's. It must be. It's enormous, but we've not built it. So that's going to be a project, I think. Oh, that'll, be, that'll be fun. Yeah, in between Grand Tours. And and then the biggest set I've ever built was with my lad a few years ago. And it was a full, not full size, because that would be silly. But it was a <laughs> one of the biggest sets, a Death Star Destroyer. No, Star Destroyer, which was... Oh, that's... I've been I've been sort of eyeing up something that of that size, but yeah. I don't know where it's going to go at the moment. So that's it's big. Yeah, it would be. I mean, pause. when you when you get your new place, you could have a room just just for Lego, and then we do <laughs> we do another podcast just from there, and we chat. We, we'll get a couple of other riders on, get Cav on, um, yeah. yeah, and get Rowan on, and we'll have a bit good. of a natter because they they would love it. But um, well, what a, what a lovely way to end um, talking about Lego, which is one of my favourite <laughs> things. Um, Fred, no, seriously, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure um, getting to know you a little bit better. That insight into Flanders was, was was wonderful, and quite clearly you, you you're having fun because cycling is is such a brutally difficult sport that you've you've got to mix it up a little bit and enjoy yourself. And it sounds to me as if that's what you you're, you're doing. Ah, oh, cheers, mate. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about having having fun. But yeah, I would obviously love to love to win Flanders one day. That's, I think that, you've got it. You've got it in you, mate. That, that sort of performance is <laughs> you, you've you've got it in you. Just keep on doing what you're doing. And hopefully the results will come, mate. Well, uh, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Sorry about me blowing up the plugs 
and you having to come on late. I'm I'm going to have to probably get a takeaway brew from a cafe because I'm worried about doing them doing the um, not being able to have any power for the next few days in this room. But anyway, <laughs> Fred, it's been a pleasure. Take care for the rest of the year. Hopefully, our paths will cross. I might I might be at the tour. I'm not too sure. If if I am, hopefully our paths will cross and I'll say hi. Uh, but uh, for now, mate, you take care and thanks again for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, cheers, Matt. Speak to you soon. What a top bloke. I really enjoyed chatting with Fred and I must get down to Herne Hill myself sometime soon and check it out again. It's been ages. And if you live in South London, it's a great place to try track cycling. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to anyone who has a tenant called Fred Wright living in their accommodation. That's right, I'm asking you to recommend our podcast to Ethan Hayter. Now, don't forget, if you have any questions, comments, or have a story to share, get in touch. Our email address is podcast at sigmasports.com. I did say that in a very high voice, but let's leave it in. Finally, a massive thanks again to Fred for joining us on the podcast today and sharing his passion for Lego, which is making me want to go home and build that Marvel Spider-Man Daily Bugle set I have under the bed. Cheers all, stay safe, and goodbye. Oh,